0: Welcome to One Does Not Simply, where three friends take on the Lord of the Rings and go on some unexpected journeys. I'm Wanda. I'm Navia. And I'm Ishani. This is episode 24, One Does Not Simply Tame Smeagol. As always, this episode will contain spoilers for the entire Tolkien verse. With that said, let's get into it.
1: Well, dear listeners, we're here. We are at the beginning of Book 4 of The Lord of the Rings, a.k.a. The Slog. So, in this chapter, we finally, reluctantly, rejoin Frodo and Sam as they begin their trek towards Mordor. And much of this chapter is just Frodo and Sam trying to find their way around some mountains and down a cliff. And then around the midpoint of the chapter, after thinking, hoping that they have managed to finally lose Gollum, they realize that they have not, in fact, managed to lose Gollum. And so they decide instead to confront him. And in the course of this confrontation, they extract a promise from him that basically means they decide, okay, we're not going to kill you. We're going to take you along with us, and you're going to show us the way. And so our duo, now trio, ends the chapter with Gollum promising to show them a path towards Mordor. All right. So we've been dreading this book pretty much since we started <laughs> this podcast. And I think where I want to start is now that we're actually here. Was it as bad as you were worried it was going to be?
0: It's literally it so worse? good. It's so <laughs> like it's it's so good because it's so depressing and anxiety inducing. I think that I think that my memory of this this book which the the last time I read it was when I was a kid was of it being boring. Mm-hmm. It's not boring in my opinion. It's just really upsetting. Like <laughs> it's they're in Emyn Muil, the the mountain range, the mm. ghastly mountain range, and then em- <laughs> and then and then they can tell that after they go out, they're gonna get to the marshes, and then after they go out of that, they're gonna get to Mordor, and it's just like dystopia on top of dystopia.
2: Yeah, I, by the way, while we were talking, I just, like, looked at the map just to double check where M and Mu Mu Mew, whatever that says, where it is, Um, and it's, like, really depressingly, a, like, a tiny mountain range, <laughs> like, like it, it, they spent so long, I think, basically going in circles just lost, because this is way smaller than the mountains they've already crossed. That's really sad. <laughs>
0: Well, I—I mean, the thing that I wanted to say was that I my recollection was of a part of the book that was hard to read because it was written in in such a way as to make it like the writing was difficult, and Mm -hmm. I was so wrong about that. Like the I think that the content is really just despair inducing, but it's written beautifully, in my opinion. Like there's a lot of really tight dialogue, and character building, Mm -hmm. and the descriptions are beautiful, even though. Tolkien wants to compare everything to a skirt for some reason
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I don't know so I guess like I'll go back to your question Ashani which is was it as bad as you were expecting and I'll say like yes (laughs) but but also kind of agree with Wanda in that like it's bad but because it's so effective in what it's trying to do um like I don't want to read this like I don't look forward to reading a whole book of this but at the same time, it is achieving exactly what I think the intent is, which is to bring you along on this extremely despair inducing and depressing journey that Frodo and Sam are on. And like that part, yeah, nailed it. Like I honestly was just like, was Tolkien actually depressed writing this? Because it's very evocative.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to me that this is one of the first times where we might all three of us be in almost perfect agreement where i don't really have anything much to add because my first impression is yes this is so grim and this is so miserable but it's not because it's boring or because it's badly written i actually put in my notes that i think this is tolkien at his most technically proficient as a storyteller the way he's blending like description and character moments and dialogue and narration and all of these different pieces and little bits of action get thrown in sometimes and apart from the fact that I had no idea still which way like north, south, or right or left were. least. Yeah, right. I'm just like, (laughs) I... Descriptions of the geography are still hard for me. But other than that like it really works. It's just that what it's working to do is oh boy yeah the idea of reading a whole book of this and it's not right I think part of that is also like Wanda my last time reading this was when I was much younger and I know the whole book is not just Frodo and Sam and Gollum walking I know that they're gonna meet other characters and they're gonna do other things yeah but like barely <laughs> <laughs> it's like halfway through the book I think that they meet uh Faramir yeah so it's yeah.
0: It's not, like, oh, right at the end, but it just feels that way.
2: hmm
0: Well, and, like, when they meet Faramir, it doesn't get any happier. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. They're like your brother's dead, <laughs> and, but we did bring Gollum. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I propose a trade. <laughs> what, what do you guys think, like, I guess I want to dive a little deeper into technically what he's doing really well here, because I am not super typically critical of what i'm reading and from a technical standpoint and i don't know a lot about like how to evoke certain things or like what he's doing other than just like no honestly i i want to ask that question to you guys because i think you both are maybe better at at describing technical writing than i am like what is it that is so successful about this
1: wanda do you want to go first no i don't fucking know (laughs) <laughs> well, all right yeah. then I guess I will look go. I studied
2: engineering so somebody else do this please
1: <laughs> there were a couple of things I noticed right one was well first off we get a callback for the rope thing Sam back in Rivendell goes man I really wish I had a rope I just know it's going to be important at some point point." and then indeed a rope is important at some point and it sure is a good thing he picked one up From Lorien, And that sense of continuity, I think, is something that Tolkien doesn't always do well. So it's nice when it is done well. Right. Mm -hmm, That mm -hmm. sense of even if we as readers are exposed to this whole world, the things that the characters did earlier are going to come back because they really did mean it. Right. Sam really did mean it when he said, like, I know that a rope is important to have when you're traveling because it is. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I think this chapter does that honestly didn't always happen in book three is that sense of character, right? Right. That you are really firmly with Frodo in this chapter. And you get that sense throughout. It's not just, oh, he said this and he did this, but it's, you know, he takes a moment to look out at the mountains and have th- that moment of despair or of going i don't want to turn back like i have to fucking do this like i don't want to find another route let's just go right and you yeah. see yeah. that frustration
0: i was just going to bring up this moment when he says uh or when it says frodo sniffed the air and looked up doubtfully at the sky which mm-hmm. is like a sentence straight out of harry potter in the sense that it's like it's taking an adverb and it's using it to uh, bring a third person narration that is like a narration that's not through Frodo's eyes um, Mm -hmm. into a little bit more intimate contact with the reader right you're like the the word doubtfully is like okay this whoever's doing the narrating is not Frodo but it's it sounds like someone close enough to Frodo that they are that they were in
2: the scene
1: Right. It's like that privileged narration where you get a little bit of a feeling of the internal. Right.
2: Yeah. It's one of the few, very few times where we actually get a sense of what a character is thinking and not just what they're saying. I think that like, yeah, yeah, that one Pippin chapter was like the only one that felt like that.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. You get more Frodo than Sam here, but you get enough of both of them that it's like, it feels like an honest third person narration. Yeah. Also feeling really intimate. And I think that it works a little bit better with two characters than with nine characters.
2: And then weirdly, you have like not even a clue what Gollum is thinking at all.
1: Weirdly, but I think importantly. Yeah. Right. Because I think the issue that sometimes Tolkien runs into in previous chapters is he would duck into someone's narrative viewpoint very briefly and what I mean by narrative viewpoint right none of this is in first person but you have moments of sort of privileged or omniscient third where you get a feeling for right Frodo having doubts for instance but Mm -hmm. when you're going in and out and in and out you never really get that sense of like who a character is as when you pick those characters and you stick with them which is why the Pippin chapter works really well is that yes the Mm -hmm. orcs are there, like. We get a sense of what Pippin is going through. Yes, the Ents are there, right? But that whole section, you're pretty clearly, Mm -hmm. like, with a character or with, like, a perspective, right? When you get the orcs, it's like you really get the orcs. When you get Pippin, you really get Pippin. When you get the Ents, you really get the Ents, Mm -hmm. as opposed to you're torn between... You know, a little bit of Aragorn and a little bit of Legolas and Gimli and a little bit of, like, nobody at all or nobody really in particular. And I think if he had given us Gollum from that same angle, it would have, A, pulled us in a different direction that we didn't need because this is a character who only comes in partway through the chapter. And it would have undercut Frodo and Sam in a pretty significant way because – if we're in their shoes, right, or if we're sort of taking their perspective, we shouldn't know what Gollum is thinking. It makes it more tense for us to not know what his motivations are or to not really be able to
0: read him. Mm-hmm. And, and also to, like, make Frodo and Sam – To Gollum's purpose is kind of to strengthen the perspective that we got on both Frodo and Sam. They both look worse, I think, for what they want to do about Gollum. And
1: I think that's actually a really good segue to – Frodo makes the decision to spare Gollum, but I'm curious if you would have done the same thing or how you look on that decision, whether or not you think that's a good decision. It's a complicated choice. I don't know that there's necessarily a... To me, at least, it doesn't seem like there's necessarily a super straightforward, quote unquote, right answer. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious if either of you felt like, no, there was, and this was
0: or wasn't it. I mean, I think I would have simply gone the libertarian route and uh, figured out what Gollum's price was. With all of the money that you definitely were not carrying. Yeah, well, I would be like, all of the, these are, like, the, the Lembus is fungible, no doubt, yeah, right? Yeah,
2: although Gollum <laughs> can't eat it because it's elven-made.
0: No, he has to sell it, right? He doesn't have to sell it back. The mithril <laughs> so, is extremely fungible. To, that's or, true. could have taken
2: that off. Here, Gollum, take this to the free market.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're like, look, I give you a new precious, how about that?
2: Oh, man. I, so... I had a maybe a, a, a weird read on this, which when I was reading it, I was kind of like, my thought was Frodo like doesn't know anything about Gollum basically at this point, right? They've had like very minimal encounters. Gollum is described as looking just awful <laughs> so like, <laughs> like you don't get the, the sense of this like kind of a little bit adorable creature that we see in the movies so like I'm, I'm like thinking about this and I'm like why why is why does he pity him in this moment right what has he what is Gollum displaying that warrants pity and I actually kind of read this as like and and maybe this kind of ties into what I would do in this situation as it actually isn't even pity so much as not wanting to be the one that kills him, like almost being like, like, I don't want to call it cowardice because I don't think that's the right word, but like essentially not having what it takes to do even what you perceive as maybe the right thing to do in that situation, because you just don't want to be the one that kills this defenseless creature. And it's also interesting to me that like, Sam doesn't take this into his own hands in any way. Because, like, he obviously thinks that they definitely should kill Gollum. Like, he is not wavering on that at all. But he also doesn't do it, right? He has an opportunity, probably multiple as this journey continues, but he's pretty much just like, oh, no, Frodo said no, so I won't.
0: Yeah, I agree with your assessment of what Frodo does and the fact that he doesn't, he doesn't really see anything in Gollum necessarily, at least not yet. He just re- doesn't want to kill this creature. Mm -hmm. which I think is true, that would be true for most of us, to go back to Ashani's question of, like, what would you do in this situation? I've never murdered, and I assume that if I was put in the position (laughs) of having to murder... uh, You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to get out in front of it. There's something that happened that is sort of on the line. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs)
1: suddenly this becomes a true crime podcast but
0: uh it's one time i was confronted with a spider (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i i think that if i was put in that position i I think that most people even people that i like really loathe i i would find myself hard put to murder Mm -hmm. right and i think that that's what we're experiencing here different from what we get in the movies which is like a true to the books but also distinctly more adorable gollum
2: mhm you get in the movie like immediate pity right like you feel sorry for gollum upon sight
0: yes yes i think that yeah. i think that in the in the movies you feel sorry for him and andy Serkis is like really playing playing up for the you know he's got this like horrible little loincloth and you're like oh i'm so sorry <laughs> um <laughs> And and those big eyes, although to be fair, the big eyes are true to the Alan Lee drawings.
2: Mm -hmm. And to the description and we get we got a lot of description of like the big glowing eyes.
0: Right, right. But in the book, he he just he just seems grotesque. I, I didn't have any particular pity for Gollum. But you can sense that Frodo is the person that's been trusted with the decision of whether or not to kill him. And when push comes to shove, he doesn't want to. And then I think you get this really interesting passage where he recalls what Gandalf said about don't be too eager to deal out death in the name of justice just because you are afraid of what someone might do to you because even the very wise can't see all ends by which he means if you don't if you're not sure that whoever it is is going to kill you then you should not you should err on the side of not killing right mm-hmm. and Importantly, I think Gandalf doesn't say don't kill if you suspect someone's, you know, potentially going to kill you, but like, don't be too eager to do it. And I think that what that does is give Frodo an excuse to lean on his desire to not do this thing that feels grotesque.
2: There was also a callback in your notes that I really liked about how like, this kind of um, recalls Theoden, like letting Wormtongue go. Um, Right. And... I actually thought there was a really interesting distinction between those two where in that situation like maybe it's because of Theoden's position of power and his like kingliness overall but it felt like an act of like mercy from him whereas here it does not feel merciful like it does not feel like Frodo is showing any kind of kind behavior other than just like I don't really want to do this.
1: And I wonder if that's because it feels like Theoden has more options, right? Like, I really Mm -hmm. do feel like Theoden had other options besides let Wormtongue go or kill him, right? And even if you said, okay, well, they're abandoning Eterus and they can't leave him in prison— surely there would have been an option of, like... Tie him to
2: a horse, (laughs) like, do something. Right,
1: like, bring him along with either the evacuating people, but, you know, in chains, or bring him along with the army, bound and unable to cause mischief. And Frodo and Sam don't really have a ton of options on the table. Like, I was kind of thinking through it and going, okay, well, Gollum has been following them, but has not technically been an aggressor like he doesn't attack first right like Mm -hmm. right they don't have clear proof that gollum it would kill them they very strongly suspect it and i don't think they're wrong but they don't really have clear proof of like this is somebody who's actively coming after us to kill us and so right his crime is that he's a giant creep yeah (laughs) right and i'm like and that's sketchy, and I would be super paranoid, and I wouldn't want to let him go free. But I'm also sitting there going, okay, well, if I was in Frodo's shoes, would I want to kill someone who hasn't ever attacked me, who I just suspect is trying to hurt me, and maybe would just take the ring and run, mm-hmm. right? If he got it, I don't know that Gollum would sit there, if he could get the ring without murdering Frodo and Sam, I don't know that he would, like, then stick around just to murder Frodo and Sam, you know?
2: Yeah, he doesn't strike you as evil, right? He strikes you as just desperate.
1: Yeah, so I'm like, okay, so I wouldn't want to kill him in cold blood, but also tying him up in the middle of a wasteland where he's almost certainly either going to then get eaten by something horrible or starve slowly to death, like... Mm -hmm. those are not viable options either. In some ways, those feel more cruel. And I would rather at that point say, like, no, give him a quick death. That's more merciful. But if you're not willing to do that, then you kind of have to spare him and you kind of have to bring him along.
2: Yeah, I get the, like, bring him along thing, but act as our guide seems like a bonkers step to me because that now you're giving him like actual power over where you go and that feels like a very good way for him to trap you and take the ring
1: yeah and i will say they make him promise on the ring and frodo does imply that promises made
0: on the ring are binding
2: there's some magic there yeah so
0: what's the difference between swearing on the ring and swearing by the ring because they, they have this whole exchange, right? Where Gollum's yeah. like, I'll swear on the ring. And Frodo's like, don't do that. Just swear by the ring.
1: I think there is a semantic difference in that, like, swearing on something is you put your hand on it. Right? Like, when mm-hmm. you swear on the Bible, you put a hand on the Bible to make your promise. Right, and you and don't want to like put him
0: in that position to right. swear on the precious. Right, so swear by it, but I'm not going to let you touch it. Right, Frodo actually says, how dare you, on the precious.
2: He says, yeah. "He says it is more treacherous than you are, it may twist your words, beware.
1: Mm-hmm. Which made me think it's like a fae promise, like, you make promises and they monkeys paw your words.
2: Actually, I think you're right, Ashani, I think it is just the difference between, like, he doesn't want him to have to hold it or, like, see it to swear on it, because then he does say... All you wish is to see it and touch it if you can, though you know it would drive you mad. Not mm-hmm. on it, swear by it. But this is just, this is really just like a semantic
0: thing that Frodo's saying, like, you can't, you can't swear on it, uh, because right. you just want to grab it.
2: You have to swear right. by it. Interestingly, he doesn't actually do that, though. <laughs> um, he never says, I swear by it. He just says, we promise, yes, I promise, I will serve the master of the precious.
1: Yeah. What I think is interesting, and I'm actually glad you brought it up, though, Wanda, is because if the ring binds you to your promise, why the hell is Frodo letting Gollum choose the wording of his promise? Like, Frodo seems aware of the fact that the ring might actually make Gollum follow through on whatever he promises somehow. Right in some sick way. Yeah, but then doesn't say, this is what you need to say exactly.
2: Although, on a technicality, Frodo is holding the ring, so if he said the words, then then he would swear it too, and he can't do that because he's about to destroy the thing.
1: But I mean, like, this idea of saying, if the ring is binding, right, and it's Gollum who's swearing by it, not Frodo.
2: Yeah, he doesn't have any specifics of what is being sworn to, right? Mm -hmm. It's just... I will serve the master of the precious, which is incredibly vague. He could be the master of the precious. (laughs) Like, there's so many loopholes here. It's like baffling that Frodo doesn't specify anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he learned the art of loopholes after Bilbo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting, too, that what makes this whole passage confusing, from where he says, I want to swear on the precious to where he says, I will serve the master of the precious, is that the first thing that he does, which is to say, I want to swear on the precious, in retrospect, seems like it's a deceitful thing that he says in an attempt to be able to lay his hand on the ring.
1: Mm-hmm. And he says, like, Smeagol will swear never, never to let him have it. He will save it, which is OK. So in swearing never to let Sauron have it, that doesn't mean you couldn't just take it for yourself. Right. right. Is saving it taking it for yourself? If you take it for yourself, then you are the master of the precious
0: and can do what you want. But what's interesting about it is that, well, but then he pivots, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so he says, Smeagol will save it, but he must swear on the precious. And then Frodo says, no, not on it. All you wish is to see it and touch it if you can, that you know it will drive you mad. And then it, it goes into this paragraph where it talks about how it seems like, uh, it seems to Sam that his master had grown and Gollum had shrunk. And Frodo says, "Down, down! Now, speak your promise." And then Gollum says, "We promises. Yes, I promise. I will serve the master of the precious." So it's, it's actually like a, a display of dominance or something that's going on with Frodo. Like he's he yeah. he actually because Gollum goes from trying to get his hands on the ring to swearing that he's going to serve, presumably serve Frodo.
2: Mm-hmm. I also wonder, like you know, Gollum and Smeagol are essentially two distinct personalities in the same body, right? which one mm-hmm. of them is swearing here?
0: well I, I don't know about that. are they two distinct personalities or are they are they two conceptions of the same individual?
2: I think they're distinct um i mean i I can't say for sure yet because we haven't really gotten to the part where they talk to each other. Is um, <laughs> that an actual part in the book? I don't remember, and that's why I'm wondering.
0: <laughs> I thought that the I think that the movies took the concept of Gollum and Smeagol having like kind of sharing an identity and turned that into like a kind of classic, like split personality, um, like Stephen King horror movie kind of thing.
2: Maybe. But he does switch back and forth between we and I. Yes. Um So there's a a hint of that. Yeah, I'll be curious to see when we get a little further whether we start to see more of a divergence because, yeah, no, I I don't remember, to be honest. So Mm -hmm. I can't speak to that yet, but... Well, what I thought was interesting was that Gollum at one point says,
0: they took the precious, now Smeagol is gone. Without without the precious, there is no more Smeagol, is basically what he says. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because that's not my perspective. Like, from the perspective, I think, of the characters up until this point, Smeagol is like the uncorrupted version of Gollum. And Gollum exists because because of the influence of the ring.
2: Did you guys notice that? I didn't notice it until I read your notes. But it is interesting, right? Because we perceive the ring as having destroyed Smeagol. Right. But he perceives, like, losing the ring as having been the thing that destroyed him.
1: I guess it depends on how you read that sentence, right? They took his precious and he's lost now. Is that a consequence Mm. of losing the precious? Or is that simply poor Smeagol because A, they took his precious and B, unrelated, he's
0: lost. Right. I thought it was interesting because it's like it kind of shows how if you lose something that's really important to you, from your perspective, Mm -hmm. you're like, Oh, I'm not I'm not me anymore. I'm not whole anymore and other people who see you from the outside are like, actually, that if you are saying that about something, that probably means that you had an unhealthy dependence on it. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. And I also wonder, too, because actually what happens is that sentence comes right at the end of Gollum saying something about the orcs. And what we know is that the orcs at some point had Gollum in their custody and probably tortured him. And so I think you could also read that as the reason, you know, he's gone, he's been gone for a long time is because he broke under
2: torture. And it's not even the first time he's been tortured, right? Like, we also know Aragorn tortured him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very valid alternative perspective, maybe, is that we know Gollum has been through some very traumatic shit. Mm -hmm. And it is also possible that you know, what is good in Gollum has been largely stamped out because of the torture and because of the pain and the mistreatment that he has experienced.
2: It's interesting, going back to the concept of pity, when we first meet Gollum, like, I had no feelings about him. I was just like, okay. Um, but, <laughs> I was meh on Gollum. <laughs> yeah, um, but once we got into, like, his his actual talking and him, you know, when they put the rope on him, he starts to talk about how, like, it reminds him of what the elves did to him, which implies that when he was imprisoned, like, the elves also tortured him. Um, then I start did start to pity him, you know? I, I ended this chapter feeling, like, really, really sorry for this guy. <laughs> so I guess the choice is interesting to have the pity decision come before we actually see any reason for it.
0: Right. So why did the elves um, imprison Gollum in the first place?
2: Aragorn gave him to them, right? Like, he was just like, okay, keep track of this guy for me. Right, but was Gollum like a repeat offender or something
1: like that? No, Aragorn caught him to try and get more information about the ring. Right. And then tortured him and then was like, well, I don't want to just let him go. So I'm going to drag him to the elves and they'll just keep custody of him so that he's not loose.
2: Right. I I don't get the sense there was like a trial or anything here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I don't think the elves would have like gone out of their way to catch Gollum. But they were like, sure, we like Aragorn. We'll do you a solid and like just keep this guy in jail.
2: Yeah. And also this is after he has essentially, quote unquote, confessed to telling the orcs where bilbo is right or where the ring is Mm -hmm. so maybe that's his crime in their eyes i don't know it's weird
1: the justice system in middle (laughs) earth
2: is questionable at best yeah it also seems strange to me that like Gollum has basically been following this party for like the entire journey at this point Mm -hmm. so i it almost makes me wonder whether, like, if Sam hadn't confronted him in this chapter, whether he would have just continued to follow from a distance. Like, is, are we clear on the implication that he would have eventually made a move to try to get the ring? I don't know that that's definitive.
1: I feel like there have been a couple of times where he's come pretty close to it approaching them and then has been chased off. Like, there was a point in on the outskirts of Lorien where he gets chased off by one of the elves Mm -hmm. So I think there's an argument that, you know, he might not have approached a group of nine people that included a wizard and two humans and an elf and a dwarf, like all of whom are carrying some sort of weaponry, but Mm -hmm. two hobbits, like
2: he's probably more likely to have taken his chances. Which again, just takes me back to like, why was this decision to split the party made?
0: (laughs) this is a this is actually really interesting that you say this um because it makes me think like Gollum's no fun but <laughs> if, if, if but he had
1: gotta invite him if,
0: if he had been allowed to just keep the ring he would have just hung out in the mountain forever right eating yeah. fish and telling riddles to himself and of course like suffering abomination upon abomination spiritually
2: (laughs) but like he really has not done a lot of harm no but i think i think the point there is that i don't think it's about whether he would be allowed to keep the ring the ring didn't allow that right it left him because it wanted to be found
0: right yeah yeah exactly and i think that says something i guess about the the morality system of this world right that we have a, a character that is more or less
2: innocent well other than murdering his brother to take the ring true yeah a technicality let's move on from it right right but you know what i mean yeah yeah he's he's not done anything for like what is apparently hundreds of years
0: Uh, Yeah, this is is like a little hobbit creature that's like been deformed and then suffered centuries of torture Mm -hmm. at the hands of just about every civilization imaginable
2: yeah, I don't know if there's an answer for it, but I think it's an interesting thought of, like, what actually ruined Gollum. Was it the ring, or was it how everyone else treated him?
0: Or both, potentially. Yeah, or both. That, I think, takes us back to this question of, why does Frodo decide not to kill Gollum? I think, on some level, it's because he recognizes that's what everybody else... Like, everybody else has chosen to to treat this creature with inhumanity. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And there's something that is sort of wrong about that
2: yeah there was actually an interesting lack here of something that i thought would be coming which is that frodo sees himself in Gollum. i was expecting that to come up and it's like absent here well sam sees a similarity between the two of them yeah and it
1: makes me wonder if that'll come up later
2: i think it will come up later i just thought it was an interesting like thing to not have be part of why Frodo doesn't kill him.
1: To me, that makes sense, though, because you wouldn't want to have Frodo empathizing too strongly with Gollum right at the beginning of this process, Mm -hmm. because this whole sort of next section of Frodo's journey is both about getting to Mordor, but also increasingly becoming pulled under by the influence of the ring. Yeah. Because we know where Frodo is going to end up, right? When he's standing on the lip of the volcano and has to make this decision. And so he has to get there. Mm -hmm. And so for Frodo to go, oh, yes, I see myself in this like (laughs) very desperate and ring addicted creature. That'd be a little too healthy of an assessment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm like, no, it's too early for that. He's going to get to that point, but it needs to happen more gradually. Yeah. So I see why Tolkien decided to wait.
2: As just a side note, I can't believe that this series called The Lord of the Rings, we, we've we just gone an entire half of a book with like not even mentioning the ring. Like I noticed it because this chapter mentions it so much and it's like so heavy here that I was like, wait, we didn't even talk about the ring for the entire previous section of this book. And it's supposed to be like the main, in some people's eyes, quote unquote, character of this story. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think yeah. that's just BS. Obviously, <laughs> I mean, I kind of agree
1: though. Like, I think that that's a very simplistic view to say, like, "Oh, the ring is the main." I'm like, no, you know, maybe. No, I don't think it it's is true. a
0: character, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I no, do no, think I it's amazing
2: not... for it to just not have shown up.
0: The main character is Viggo Mortensen, you guys, and it has always <laughs> will be. Clearly, based on how much we talk about him,
2: I did want to go back to something you just said, Ashani, about like it being addictive like the Mm -hmm. the addict vibes in this chapter were like so strong for me where it like i felt so uncomfortable at the end of it where they were like having him swear on the precious and do all and do all this stuff and then he starts acting all subservient and like being like yeah i'll lead you whatever and it just the immediate feeling I got was like this is an addict who is like being held hostage by the thing he's addicted to and it made me like very uncomfortable to read
0: yeah I'm really glad that you put that in your nose because it's the uncomfortable consequence of Frodo doing a merciful thing Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and it's also I mean it's an interesting choice right that I think Tolkien clearly made a choice there in terms of Frodo's decision at that point like obviously Tolkien made the choice to have them encounter Gollum and authorial intent can't be totally removed and all that other good stuff but like in that moment Frodo's decision to spare Gollum makes sense with what we know of his character but then Gollum's reaction of being really fawning and attentive and subservient is weird Right. And it's weird because it's like, okay, is this the influence of the ring and the promise he's made? Is this him making a choice to try and get Frodo and Sam off guard and maybe sow a little bit of conflict between them? Is this just like a weird trauma reaction to somebody finally not like immediately trying to just beat the shit out of him right a friend but whatever it is it's uncomfortable
2: (laughs) but it's not a friend right he's currently bound by this promise that he's made and it even says like he was pitifully anxious to please he would cackle with laughter and caper if any jest was made or even if frodo spoke kindly to him and weep if frodo rebuked him this doesn't make me uncomfortable in the sense that like I'm suspicious of Gollum. It makes me uncomfortable in the sense that it feels deeply exploitative of him. Yes.
0: So what's the exploitation? Is the exploitation that they're that they are asking him to show them the way
2: to Mordor? I think the exploitation is that like they have have bound him by a promise to the thing that he is so so desperate to have. And like they're essentially like dangling it in front of him this whole time
0: i mean i think i'm gonna say it's okay (laughs) because they (laughs) the promise that he makes is not to keep his life right the promise is to go free of the rope that's painful to him to be bound by because that when he tries to escape they tie his leg up with the rope so that he can't get away again the rope burns and then frodo says the only way i can possibly let you go is if there's something that you can do that will make me trust you and that's when Gollum says, I'll swear swear by the precious.
1: I don't know that for me what feels, and maybe exploitative isn't the right word. I keep coming back to uncomfortable because it's a discomfort with the behavior as a response for me as a reader, right? That what I'm seeing right. happen feels uncomfortable because it feels like there is something odd going on, right? And again, I keep coming back to like, it feels a little bit like a caricature. It feels a little bit like a trauma response. It feels a little bit like maybe it's the ring influencing him. But in none of those instances, does it feel like it's handled with compassion? And I don't mean yeah. that as like compassion from the characters. I mean that as like, it doesn't feel like there is authorial compassion. Yeah.
2: I I think actually like maybe I, I didn't say what, I meant very clearly but I think what makes me uncomfortable isn't necessarily like the fact that this promise has been made but how Gollum acts afterwards which Mm -hmm. makes me feel like he didn't have the it's like asking a child to promise something right like they don't actually have the knowledge of what they're really doing Mm -hmm. and so you can't really hold them to what they say it felt like that where it was like I didn't see Gollum as, like, somebody who was able to make this big of a promise. And then seeing how he, like, reacts to being treated even remotely okay, not even nicely, but, like, remotely okay, just makes me feel even more like this character has been, like, tortured and, like, he's not doing things with a full set of, like, awareness of what is happening in the world, right? He doesn't feel right on a level playing field with these other characters. Yeah. And I think that's what made me uncomfortable
0: i mean i think that's a totally fair read right that Gollum does not really have the power to swear by the precious um without actually thinking okay there's something in it for me which is that i can like maybe i'll get my hands on the precious
2: yeah it seems like a very Mm -hmm. simple promise to him of just like the equation consists of two factors right one get this rope off me two maybe i'll get the precious
1: Well, and it's something that's come up that I imagine will come up again, and I suspect we'll revisit it as a topic when it does come up again. I feel like it's such a brief little end to the chapter that we maybe don't have enough information to really suss out all of what's going on, or maybe even get a sense of what Tolkien intended. But it's definitely something where, you know, I started off the chapter going, oh, this is like miserable and a little not tedious but definitely feeling the fatigue of the characters and at the end i was just like i just don't like
2: this like Mm -hmm. it just feels cruel and they don't tell him why they're going to Mordor, right they just say they're going there i don't think they mention that they're planning to destroy the ring right they let him draw his own conclusions Mm -hmm. and he doesn't actually even like think about it or question it at all which kind of shows you how, like, single-minded he is. In Yeah, he his... thinks
0: that they're going through Mordor. <laughs> <when> <laughs> like, <we assume>. where? <laughs> yeah. Going to Harad.
2: <laughs> He's gonna go find the blue wizards.
0: I guess I, I wanted to go back to this question of, like, what's so uncomfortable? Because I agree it is un- uncomfortable about the fact that they extract this promise from Gollum. That they say, okay, you're going to have to earn our trust in order to for us to let you go. And I don't think that Frodo really expects that there's something that Gollum can say.
2: Yeah, he's just like
0: he's like I'm sorry, I'm explaining to you.
2: Yeah, he says it yeah. almost like as if there was any promise you could possibly make, right?
0: Right. Right, he doesn't he doesn't say it as though leaving it open. Although I think the movie pulls this off really well with like the tone that that Elijah Wood takes when he's like, there's no promise you can make that I could trust. And you can kind of see in his face that he's like, maybe there is. And I, and I don't know, I'm leaving open this kind of question of your humanity. And then Gollum says, well, you know, what, what if I swear on the precious? And I mean, I think this is like, this is the thing, right? This is like, this is the moment of Gollum saying like, this is sort of unhealthy, but I'm going to, I'm going to like swear on the thing that I'm drawn to unhealthily. And Frodo's like well you know all things being equal I would rather have this than have you screaming all the way to Mordor so I'm gonna have I'm gonna I'm gonna make that okay with Mm -hmm. for myself
2: yeah maybe I also get the sense in that moment that Frodo being a ring bearer has some deeper understanding of what it means to swear on the ring Mm -hmm. maybe just like because of how it feels I don't know
0: Yeah, there's definitely something in that moment when he accepts the oath that changes Frodo's attitude towards the ring. Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Though, for me at least, the promise itself wasn't what was uncomfortable, except to the extent that I thought it was a badly worded (laughs) promise, and if I was going to let Gollum go, I would... Want a more comprehensive one with like multiple points? I would lawyer the shit out of that.
2: <laughs> yeah, he was just like, like Gollum, can you hang on for a few minutes? I'm going to go draft a promise real quick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? Please read this out exactly. Don't skip any points. Like, no, it's the, it really is just the difference between Gollum before he makes the promise and Gollum mm-hmm. after he makes the promise that he is, for all of his mental, emotional, whatever issues that he has beforehand, there is a difference and a sense of independence or free will or free thought that Gollum has before he makes the promise that Mm -hmm. goes away a little bit afterwards. And I think it's that loss of being his own person with his own yes often conflicting and antagonistic wants and needs but having his own wants and needs and then that just gets taken from him or like at least temporarily sort of wiped away
2: well I don't know if it's it's clear that like it's that it's been taken from him or whether he is just, like, trying to manipulate the situation. Like, I don't know if that's super clear. It doesn't seem to me conclusive that he is actually this subservient versus he is pretending Mm -hmm. to be to convince Frodo and Sam that he's okay.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I think you're right that it could very well still be that Gollum is just very good at manipulating people and he's making these decisions consciously, but... Maybe influenced by the movies, right? And again, I think we have to look at Andy Serkis gave a performance that certainly makes Gollum more pitiful than the Gollum we meet in the books. And so Mm -hmm. he doesn't seem as intentionally manipulative at first when he behaves the same way as is being described here.
2: I want to make maybe like a strange comparison here, but I feel like it's actually really interesting to see Frodo interact with Sam and Frodo interact with Gollum because in a sense they are both subservient to him right Sam is his literal servant while he's at home and he's following him around on this journey and then Gollum he puts him in this position where he's kind of bound to him and the sense you get from Sam is like a deep loyalty and he's like I'm gonna protect you and then seeing that contrasted with Gollum's behavior there is a sense of falseness here, right? right? Where it's like, you don't believe mm-hmm. Gollum, but you fully believe Sam. And I think that I haven't actually ever thought about this, the fact that Tolkien put these two characters with Frodo on this journey, but I actually think it makes for a very interesting like dichotomy between them.
1: Yeah, for sure. Although I think my counterpoint to that would be, have you ever had moments where you're a little uncomfortable with Sam's subservience to Frodo? Because I I definitely have had moments where I'm like, yeah. buddy, just take a step <laughs> back. Like, I know that
0: you're sort of nominally his servant and you owe him a lot of loyalty, but also... Like in this chapter, when he's like, I'll kill myself on this cliff before you do, Mr. Frodo. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think, yeah, I mean, totally. I have definitely been uncomfortable with some of the ways that Sam acts. But I think the interesting thing is like, maybe that I, I never think that Sam is trying to manipulate the situation or that he's doing anything but genuinely trying to help Frodo and I don't feel that way about Gollum like I'm immediately suspicious of his behavior
1: see for me I think the flip side of that is that I I agree I don't think Sam is ever trying to manipulate Frodo but the thing that often makes me uncomfortable is that Sam seems almost childlike Mm -hmm. right or like not fully adult in the ways he does give up some of his autonomy to Frodo, And it's that parallel yeah. that I'm uncomfortable with that, like, Gollum is taking that just to a more extreme degree.
2: Although, interestingly, this chapter is kind of the first one of the first times we see Sam take matters into his own hands, right? He's the one that decides mm-hmm. to attack Gollum and bring this situation to a head. And he yeah. definitely does not agree with what Frodo is doing. And he's not quiet about it either.
0: I mean, I think Sam brings Gollum into his, like, into his adventure with frodo in the way that like any two people that have like really close trust with each other it sort of seems like poetically one person in that relationship always brings in the thing that tests their relationship huh i don't know i don't really know how to better like substantiate what i'm saying there but it i I think it is like interesting in a poetic way that like sam is the one that decides like okay like i can see this i can see this this danger sort of like hovering on the outside. And I'm going to go after it because I can see, like I have a clear vision of how I would respond to this thing. Whereas Frodo is kind of like evading Gollum for weeks or days, even though they know that he's there following them. Frodo's preference is to just not have the encounter. Whereas Sam is eventually like, okay, let's have the encounter because I'm just going to kill this guy. Yeah. But it doesn't end up so simple. Tolkien writes a book that encourages forgiveness and mercy and also admits that like it can get really complicated after you show mercy to someone, as it does here. Yeah,
2: yeah, it doesn't come without consequences.
0: Thanks for listening to One Does Not Simply. This episode was edited by Ashani. You can find us on Twitter at ODNSPod and Tumblr at One Does Not Simply Pod. Special thanks to Andrew, Sneha, and to all of our listeners for joining us on this journey. And if you like what you hear, please give us a reading or a review on whatever platform you listen to. One does not simply befriend a smee girl boss. <laughs> what? <laughs> that doesn't oh. even make sense. <laughs> <laughs>